0: guilt is a message. It's a message that says either you've done something wrong or you feel like you've done something wrong. So the question that you have to ask yourself is, is that true? Oftentimes we haven't actually done something wrong.
1: Welcome to the For the Love podcast with me, Jen Hatmaker. Today, we're talking about how to let go of guilt with life coach Valerie Burton. Hey everybody, Jen Hatmaker here, your host of the For the Love podcast. Welcome to the show, and I'm really, really glad you're here today. We are in a series called For the Love of Small Wins. (laughs) Right? Like, don't we need some? This year has just been so whatever, and just as a podcast crew, We just looked at each other and said, we need some hope. We need some joy. We need some relief. We need some kindness. We need to be able to celebrate the small wins because we've all experienced some of them if we're willing to figure out how to pay attention to them. So this conversation is one that we really wanted to have in the small wins series because I think this is the enemy of gratitude which is guilt. It literally keeps us from being able to celebrate the small wins. And it, we're all feeling it right now. You name it. Mom guilt, homeschooling guilt, food and body guilt, quarantine guilt, the guilt saying, well, you haven't learned another language this year. You didn't organize your home. All you did was binge Shit's Creek five times, right? Like, How come you're not being a superhuman during an international health crisis? And I know that guilt is a real reliable companion of mine. And so I wanted us to have a conversation today about the debilitating effects of guilt on our life and what to do about it. How can we let it go? How can we release this guilt, get it out of the driver's seat of our life? Uh, We have such a good conversation for you today because my guest is going to not just hand us this permission to release this guilt, but give us the tools to do so. I walked away with some real concrete ideas about how to battle this beast in my own life. You're gonna love my guest, her name is Valerie Burton. Valerie is the founder of the Coaching and Positive Psychology Institute. She's an expert on how to find joy While we navigate all kinds of challenges, because that's life. We don't only get joy when everything's going right. That's not how it works. She has combined faith and personal experience and then research into more than a dozen books, including her latest one, which we're gonna talk about at length today called Let Go of Guilt. (laughs) Okay? Let Go of Guilt. Uh, This is what we need right now. This is how to clear the way so that we can actually celebrate our small wins, so that we can feel grateful, so that we can recognize what is good and true and flourishing in our lives. Valerie takes us by the hand and she leads us there today, you guys. You're gonna love her. You are going to love her. I am so glad to share my conversation with the absolutely delightful Valerie Burton. Valerie, I'm so happy to meet you. Welcome to the For the Love podcast.
0: I am like super excited. (laughs) It's so good to be here with you.
1: I want everybody listening to know, I mean, you're obviously just hearing this audio, but Valerie and I can see each other on the screen. And she pops into the screen looking like $10 million. What I need you to also understand is that I don't. I look like a girl who's homeschooling and was shoveling eggs in people's mouths and running down here to start a podcast anyway. So I just really give you a lot of credit for really, really upping the bar here on the audio visual game.
0: I just did it for you, but I've been running around. Don't let the shirt fool you. I'm
1: <laughs> receiving this gift of your beauty. So thank you for bringing it this morning. I've told my listeners a little bit about your know, kind of high leveled who you are and what it is you do, but... Can you roll it back a little bit? Can you talk to us a little bit about you and where you're from and kind of what brought you to this year? And then I'd like to hear a little bit about 2020. How was 2020 shifted for you? Like what is different for you this year that you didn't see coming?
0: Yeah. So I'm from, I say, everywhere. I mostly grew up in Colorado. I'm an Air Force brat. So when I start talking, people are like, where is this girl from? I was born in North Florida. We lived in Germany, Colorado. I've lived in California, Texas for eight years, Maryland, D.C., and now I've been in Atlanta for over a decade, amazingly. But my mission is inspiring women to live more fulfilling lives. And I prayed for a long time about what it was. It took a couple of years when I really heard it, I really felt like the Holy Spirit said it to me in a bookstore one day and and that I do it through writing and speaking. And I just started started writing. And then out of the writing and speaking, I discovered coaching and realized it was the one-on-one of what I was writing and speaking about. And that really kind of deepened my ability to understand a lot of different perspectives, you know, working with lots of different people. And on the personal side, My life looks so different than it did 10 years ago. (laughs) My husband and I have been married close to seven years. We had both been divorced and had both been hoping for a second chance. Me in particular, because I always wanted to be a mom and I wasn't. So I have two bonus daughters. They're 13 and 15, Sophie and Addie, and my son, Alex, is six just started kindergarten. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yes, it's a lot around here. And a couple of years ago, we pursued a big dream, and it was on a whim. Like my husband always said, he wanted a. This is going to sound a little crazy, Jen, but he wanted a house with an airstrip.
1: Okay, <laughs> He right. told me this. He, he told me what this. You want it. Yeah, he he's a pilot. He's a commercial pilot. Sure. that makes way more sense. That detail was important to include.
0: Yeah, I remember him telling you this before we got married, and I laughed. I was like, "Who? What?" He's like, "No, there's neighborhoods, and they share an airship. So we live on a horse farm <laughs> that has an airstrip." Yeah, yeah,
1: yep. you did that.
0: Yeah, so
1: we have horses and just have a good time. So, 2020, what was it going to look like for you leading up to March? Let's see, what was
0: it looking like? I had finished writing my latest book and I was, you know, planning with, you know, what was going to happen with the release in the fall. I had, we trained coaches. So we had a lot of events planned of our coach training events and speaking engagements. And my husband uh, was training pilots. He actually got out of commercial flying after 20 years last year and began working for a company where he was training Corporate pilots, which was wonderful because it meant he wasn't gone two weeks every month. <laughs> he was home every single day. That was our plan, the kids, school like normal. <laughs> you know, until that that Thursday in the middle of March. We were about to have dinner, and I opened the my phone and looked at my email, and it said, No school tomorrow for two weeks, and I knew. I was like, it won't be two weeks. (laughs) Like everything tells us this won't be two weeks and everything changed. And I mean, like everyone's experienced, it was very stressful, especially in the spring because there was no warning, no preparation and trying to run a business and homeschool. (laughs) Yeah, sister, listen,
1: I don't even, it's a fog to me. I don't even know how you got through (laughs) it, to be honest with you. It's just like a fuzzy mess in my memory. Our work is similar, yours and mine having to immediately pivot virtually everything we do virtually everything and then just some of this loss you know i travel and speak too for a living and it just zeroed out for the whole year
0: yeah everything zeroed out and then like the thing that made me the most anxious was we had a coach training intensive the first weekend in april we've done it for 10 years in person and people had already registered Having to make that decision, I felt like, how do I, I just kept thinking people are going to be angry if I tell them it's online, they've already registered, or everybody's going to want their money back. (laughs) How do we recoup from that? Uh, I just wanted to put the covers over my head and just sleep. But I learned something in that because I had to make a hard decision. And then when I made the hard decision, it went differently than I thought. (laughs) You know, some people canceled, but more people said, oh, great, it's online, I can do it now. <sighs> oh, I wasn't expecting that. And so we continued doing it. That was a biggie for me. But I kind of threw my hands up like, well, God, you knew this was happening. And if I'm going to do what I think I'm supposed to do. And you just have to handle the rest. Yeah,
1: right. <laughs> yeah, it is interesting how on one level the transition to virtual events that were going to be live, that were going to be in person, you know, while we lose that really special magic of being in a room together, I've noticed my events that transitioned online were all at least doubled because people could come.
0: And that's something that I think we weren't, foreseeing that there is a demand for that and that people, and I think more people are getting used to doing things online. And we've even had people that have done both for our events, have done in person and then they've done online this year, who've said they actually like the online better. And I was like, what? And they're like, well, you know, there's, there's a different connection and what you're seeing, you can see right in the person's face, you know, some of the breakout sessions, they felt everybody's in their own home in their own living room and they're letting their guard down more. So there are some advantages. And then, yeah, like you said, we've had people from four other continents. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Right. Participate. So that's pretty, that's pretty neat. I mean, of course, we'd never want to go through this. But I think it's, it's so powerful to find some good. You're right. In it. You're right. It's not like we can just snap our fingers and change it. So looking for what is the gift in this is inspiring and I think it helps us to be more resilient.
1: Do you ever find yourself shoe shopping online and wondering if the shoes you buy will be as comfy as they are cute? Listen up, your shoe search is done. You just need some Rothies. You know, I love my Rothies. <laughs> I slip on my leopard print Rothies every time I need to feel just a little bit more fierce. They're adorable, they're so comfortable. Plus, They are fully machine washable, and lucky you, Rothy's come with free shipping and free returns if you need it, so you can easily find your own perfect pair, or two, or 10, I don't know your life. I'm such a big believer in buying products that work for me and also work for our planet. Rothy's happens to be super sustainable since they are made from plastic water bottles, I kid you not, and listen to this. Rothy's has kept 60 million plastic water bottles out of landfills and transform them into these cute and comfy shoes. It is like a win-win for everyone. So check out all the amazing shoes and bags available right now at rothys.com slash for the love. That's rothys, R O T H Y S rothys.com slash for the love style and sustainability meet to create. I promise what's going to be your new favorites head to rothys.com slash for the love today. Okay. Back to our show. Hmm. Okay, Valerie, you've written a really great book and the title alone, Let Go of Guilt. It has like a visceral effect on me just thinking of it, just thinking those words in my brain. So let me ask you this first. Let's get a baseline here because we're going to talk about this at length. In your words, in your perspective, kind of from your leadership perspective, what is guilt? Let's put this on the table so that we're kind of circling around the same idea. What is guilt? How do you define it? I have two different definitions. So
0: guilt is I've done something wrong or I've caused harm. That's authentic guilt. Okay, we've done something wrong, we've caused harm. The other definition is I feel I've done something wrong or caused harm. And I call that false guilt. And I think a lot of us are walking around (laughs) with a lot of false guilt about things. And the problem that happens is when we're making decisions based on that false guilt. When the guilt gets in the driver's seat and starts making decisions and doing things to overcompensate, to, you know, to punish you, that's where we're beating ourselves up. That definition, I think, is important to make the distinction because I think a lot of us feel a lot of guilt. And while some of that guilt might be authentic, a lot of that guilt is stuff we didn't actually do wrong, but we're telling ourselves that we did. That's good. It's a huge difference. Yeah, it's it's a huge difference. And it's a huge burden. I think we feel it in so many ways. I mean, you know, for women, I think a lot of us can relate to mom guilt. Although honestly, I think there's a lot of daughter guilt too. (laughs) Yeah, You know, but there's also just the everyday guilt about things, always feeling like I should do more. I should have done it better. Whenever you're using that word should, it is a, it's a, it's a little warning sign. Like should, where'd you get that from? Whose expectation is that? Is that your values? I mean, I think for a lot of us, we walk around feeling perpetually guilty. Even if we haven't called it guilt, we constantly like, I should be doing more. It's not enough. I'm not enough. And a lot of that is rooted in this feeling that we're doing something wrong. Mm.
1: That's one of the meanest voices inside my personal head is the do more voice. I could be doing this better. I could be doing this to a greater capacity. I mean, that is, that's my personal crucible that I will probably work on my entire life. And this year it's strange because it's amplified in some weird ways. I think you're so right. This is a real common struggle always, and particularly in 2020, that we're not doing enough. We are not doing enough for ourselves, for our families, for our children. We're not moving the ball forward in our careers. I'd like to hear you talk about that kind of embedded in this current context. Maybe both what you have personally dealt with, and then what would you say to those of us listening, saying 2020 threw us for such a loop, that we're sort of locked into this guilty spiral over unrealistic expectations that we have now just invented and kind of put on our shoulders? How would you kind of coach us through that?
0: Well, gosh, there are so many areas and it just depends on who you are. But I think One area that pops up for me is with our kids, not wanting them to fall behind. Am I doing enough? And when you're remote learning, two of our kids are remote learning. One is going, person with a lot of restrictions that are are good. But in the spring, everybody (laughs) was remote. And trying to keep up with all of that. And also, when that's not your thing, like... (laughs) I'm good. I'm great at teaching adults, especially women. Like I,
1: I can inspire. you. Know? I don't want to be in eighth grade. I don't want to teach eighth grade.
0: Not eighth grade, let alone for, you know, the spring it was kindergarten. No, like, that's too hard. And so that feeling of, am I doing enough there? I think that for a lot of people, and this doesn't get talked about a lot, but I've felt this the complaining or wanting things to be different. And yet, if you have not directly dealt with COVID, if you've not directly had a health issue and you look around you and you go, well, what are you complaining about? <laughs> right, so feeling like you should, be, you should be able to handle things and not giving yourself the grace. Like right now, you just might need more rest, <laughs> a bit more grace not only because of the direct impact of not being able to live life like you've lived it your entire life, but because the whole world is in this predicament. And we've got all of the political unrest and the racial and social injustice unrest. It's a lot to be dealing with. And I think if we don't honor how it's impacting us, you know, if if you might, you might be struggling with mild depression, anxiety, things that you, maybe you don't even normally deal with, or, or maybe you deal with it, but now it just feels exacerbated by the fact that there's so much that feels beyond your control. And we can feel guilty that we're not, why am I not handling this? I'm not dealing with X. And we start looking at everybody else who maybe has it worse off and beating ourselves up because we're not Handling our situation with more gratitude and
1: <laughs> we can be very,
0: very hard on ourselves, I believe.
1: My friend Kristen calls that the hardship Olympics. <laughs> That's it's good. A big competition and none of us win when we have to compare our struggles, and then we either come up more or less, and either one of those is wrong you know, we get to be where we are. And that sort of generosity toward our own space, our own emotions is, I think, something women maybe uniquely struggle with. I'd like to hear your opinion on this. I, of course, you know, I, I lead women, same as you. And so that's my that's my people. That's where I live. That's my zip code. But my perception is that women primarily feel guilty about virtually everything. That's not something necessarily that Men feel to the same degree, or at least outwardly show like women do. It's, we're constantly apologizing, scrambling. I just, why do you think, first of all, do you think this is a little bit unique to women? And if so, why? Is it something that our culture is telling us that we need to be apologizing for the space we take up, for the space we're not taking up? I just, I kind of like to hear what you think about our place in this conversation as women.
0: There's so much there, Jen. <laughs> you know, a couple of years ago, I will never forget this one. A young woman, like she was in her mid to late 20s. I'm on the airplane, I'm sitting, and she's walking down the aisle and she's apologizing to every row. Sorry, sorry, excuse me, sorry, sorry. <laughs> it's like, and something about that was so peculiar to me. And not that I don't apologize, but hers was literally every person she passed. And I'm thinking, There's 200 people getting on this plane and everybody's having to walk by with their luggage and they might bump somebody, but this woman is apologizing. And I don't ever see men doing that. I'm not saying men don't apologize, but I don't don't see it like that. This was one of the main questions I wanted to ask when I wrote Let Go of the Guilt, because I, the whole idea for the book actually came up because I was speaking to a group of women, emerging leaders in corporate environments, and they asked me after my keynote they're like can you do this a breakout for working parents and i was like i didn't tell you i was a you know expert on <laughs> working parenthood i mean i am a working parent but and i mentioned guilt and i told them i said i have some coaching questions for you but i can't tell you i'm an expert on this but i feel guilty and i thought it was just me and all these moms hands are flying up and it's a deep guilt. Like I left my baby to come to this conference and my husband's taking care of her, but it's often the other women. I don't know how you, I don't know how you leave your child. And I travel that much. Or it's the woman who's guilty because she's, you know, her parents are getting older and she feels like I need to move to where they are. What kind of daughter am I? I mean, we can be so hard or the parent that one woman actually said, you know, my 20 something kids haven't launched. I've been so successful and now I'm over 50 and I I can't get them. They don't have the motivation. I did. I feel like I failed. What didn't I teach them? So I just began anecdotally just mentioning it. And there's hardly a woman that as soon as I say guilt doesn't go,
1: oh, yeah, that's my experience too.
0: So I wanted to know where is it a female thing? And I I wrote a whole chapter called The Guilt Gender Gap because there actually is one. (laughs) Yeah, talk more about that. We are wired for relationships, one, and guilt is often, most of the times, about the fact that we think we caused harm to someone. Right? So you think about the mom guilt. Am I hurting my kids? I doing X, Y, or Z? Am I not doing enough? The the parents, am I not doing enough for my parents? It could be with the spouse. It could be with friends. We are always thinking about the impact of what we do on the people that we care about. And sometimes even the people we don't know, (laughs) right? Hence the woman walking down the aisle apologizing. So that's a piece of it. We actually feel more empathy and there was, there was one study out of Spain that said that men were guilt deficient until their 50s. <laughs> wow. wow. <laughs> and I thought, okay. We'll have but what they're having.
1: They, yeah, yeah, what they
0: were saying is that men tend to develop empathy, more empathy later in life. And then you've got cultural expectations. We really raise girls very differently. We raise girls a lot for relationship. And you think about this last 40, 50 years where we've had so many more opportunities. You know, I'm a Gen Xer and I always think we were the first group, we were the guinea pigs. (laughs) You can have it all, you can do it all. And the implication was you should. You're right. And so for so many women, whether they decided to stay home with their kids or they decided to go out there and, and have a career and have a family, or they don't have a family, no matter what
1: choice. It doesn't matter. No one's immune. <laughs> there,
0: there's guilt. That's right. And so, I mean, I found it fascinating. One of the studies was about women. When we need to do work outside of traditional work hours, we feel guilty. Whether we are married or single, have kids or don't have kids, we, it doesn't matter. We feel like we're doing something wrong because this is supposed to be my personal time and here's what women are supposed to be doing. So there's a lot of, I think, expectations on us that are going through our heads all the time right right we're not conscious of it we're just it's just a tape it is this is what you should do and then we're looking around looking around at social media so there's the those upward social comparisons I mean I have felt guilty following people on Instagram and and you know they come out with some business idea and I'm like Oh, that was really smart. I mean, I feel badly. <laughs> I feel guilty. Like, why am I looking at what this person is doing and thinking you should have done that? But the message then is, is, you're not doing enough. Why haven't you figured this out yet? I mean, it is relentless. And so I, I, wanted to, I wanted to find out how do I let go of this in part because it was dictating many decisions. That I was making small ones and big ones.
1: Guys, this is the time of year to get comfy. And that includes a comfy bra, which is why I'm declaring myself the president of the third love fan club. You already know that I'm obsessed with third love bras. I can't even tell you how many I own at this point because they're so cute and so comfy that I don't even know I'm wearing them. Every third love bra is made with memory foam cups, no slip straps, and a scratch-free band. Plus, Third Love has more than 80 sizes, so you'll definitely find yourself somewhere in there. They have band sizes from 30 to 48, and cups from double A to I, including half cups. And Third Love gives you a perfect fit promise because they stand behind their products. So if you don't love your bra, you have 60 days to return it. And listen, you can find your new favorite bra starting at just $45. So just $45 for something you're going to wear every single day that's so comfy, you won't even know it's there. That is a solid investment. Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone. So right now they're offering my listeners 10% off your first order. So go to thirdlove.com for the love now to find your perfect fitting bra and get 10% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com for the love for 10% off today. All right, back to our show. You said a guilt trip is not a demand; it is an invitation. You have the right to decline. So let's get into it. Like you have so saliently described exactly what so many of us feel that these are the cultural pressures on us. These are things we both know overtly and somehow internally, and they can drive the ship. They can. We can put them in the driver's seat, and they can drive. And so. Let's talk through some of these, the ways in which we are able to decline the invitation to feel guilty. Can you, can you unpack a little bit of what that approach might look like in our lives?
0: The most important and very just simple step is to label your guilt. And what I mean by that is when you feel it rising up, just pause literally a second, that's guilt. Just say to yourself, that's guilt. What that does, it just creates this interruption so that if guilt's trying to get in the driver's seat and start making decisions for you, you're pointing it out. It's like shining a light on it. Okay, that's not me, that's guilt. It's called affect labeling. We can do it with any, especially of our negative emotions to just kind of stop us for a second. And then start questioning it. Because if it's guilt, it's it's a message. Guilt is a message. It's a message that says either you've done something wrong or you feel like you've done something wrong. So the question that you have to ask yourself is, is that true? Have I done something wrong here? Oftentimes we haven't actually done something wrong. If you have, then it's obvious, (laughs) you know, there's, okay, what do I need to do then? You know, how do I apologize, atone, try to make things right? And that takes a bit of humility. But when it's that false guilt, if you haven't done anything wrong, then making sure that you are making a decision that's not based on, on guilt. And this shows up, I mean, in so many ways, whether it's the single mom who feels guilty that the other parent isn't there and so they overcompensate with their kids, they're buying way too much, or, maybe, or I've seen it with even single dads, like I'm not going to, I won't discipline them because there's, there's that guilt And so they go super easy, but there's consequences down the road when you're not fully being the parent that God's called you to be. And it shows up in those little things. Like I tell a story in the book about a morning when my son asked for, at the last minute, like we were doing so well, getting ready to go off to school. We had a a bus stop we'd drop him off at that was taken to a school as an independent school across town. And I was feeling so good, Jen. I was like, ooh, this is good. I'm, I'm ahead of time. My son doesn't really like to eat breakfast, but of course, trying to be a good mom, you have to eat breakfast. I've come up with all different kinds of options. <laughs> and so we had settled on. He likes to eat his Cheerios in the car, and I get him a cup of milk. Sounds good, right? We're five minutes ahead of time. Alex is like, mommy, can I eat my breakfast at the table this morning? And immediately, like guilt literally just washes over me because what I'm thinking is, and it was so quick. What I was thinking was, your mother never had you eat breakfast in the car. You never ate cereal. She cooked eggs, bacon, grits, and toast every morning.
1: It's always ready. It's ready to bounce.
0: Oh, yeah. All he he wants is to sit at the table. And eat breakfast. So before I even had a chance to even realize this is what my thoughts were, this was like a couple days later, thinking about what happened that morning. I realized what it was. So so I say yes, but you gotta hurry. But of course he doesn't hurry.
1: <laughs> right. No, I've never met a five-year-old in a hurry. You know?
0: He doesn't hurry. So now we're running late and I'm racing, my heart's racing, trying to get to this bus stop. The bus is like pulling out when we pull up. I hit a curb, busted my tire. I mean, it was a ridiculous mess. I got him on because the bus driver saw me and then I hobbled to a parking space where I needed to call AAA and I was like, what happened? And that's what happens. Like, we don't even realize what the thoughts are and I'm beating myself up having a flashback to when I was eight years old and now I never had to eat cereal but he wants cereal. Like, there was, I wasn't doing anything
1: wrong. There it is. That's at the bottom of it.
0: At the bottom of it. I could have said, Alex, we don't have enough time, but we can do that tomorrow if you want to. If I had stopped and said that's guilt. But I didn't. Because I was so busy trying to live up to some sort of expectation that was unrealistic. And what was I what was I trying to prove that I'm a good mom? I already know that I'm a good mom. But we we put those little tests and those little expectations on ourselves all the time. And even worse, oftentimes others are doing that, that they're extending that guilt trip. And that really only works with people we care about. <laughs> right? you know, the neighbor you don't care anything about can't really guilt trip you. <laughs> right. But but people that you care about can guilt trip you. And so it's so important to notice when that's happening and what's going on, because when there's a guilt trip from someone else. And not that Alex was doing that, but we have that happen sometimes in, in all kinds of contexts. Being able to notice it and have those hard conversations where you set boundaries is a big part of this. And sometimes you have to have those conversations mm-hmm. a lot.
1: Can you talk a little bit more about that? Because a lot of us are in, you know, important relationships in our families, and our lives, where guilt is something put upon us on the regular by somebody else. You're right. The internal guilt voice is already enough. We already have that to deal with. So I'd like to hear your thoughts on boundaries, what that might look like inside of relationships that have largely functioned in this transaction of guilt that we give one another. It's such a weird thing that we do, but we do. And maybe what that might look like. Uh, So one, noticing that it's happening.
0: And what is the lie? Like, what, what is that thing that gets used as the hook that is the guilt oh, trip? Sure.
1: It's usually the same small things of, in rotation. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Whatever works, because the guilt tripper is just trying to get you to do what you wouldn't otherwise do if you didn't feel guilty. So, you know, I said guilt is a message, but guilt is also a debt. Guilt, guilt says you owe. And that's why the guilt trip works. You did this or you didn't do that, therefore you owe or you must be punished in some way. I mean, if you really boil it down, that's what's going on. And so we're trying to pay this debt and we pay the debt by doing whatever that thing is that's requested, even though we don't feel led to do it, we don't want to do it, etc. We're trying to pay this debt. And so one of the most important things in those relationships is to just tell the truth. We can tell the truth with kindness. We can tell the truth lovingly. Sometimes we need to practice telling the truth. (laughs) You might even need to record yourself like, because sometimes that feels so hard saying it out loud. And for me, that means saying, I don't want to do things for you or to make choices out of guilt because I don't want to feel resentful in our relationship. I want a better relationship for us than that. So let's, let's talk about this. I think when we just put out on the table what we're feeling, even if it's like a, I'm making this decision out of guilt and that doesn't feel good. That's the truth. That's not, I'm sick and tired of you, laying guilt trips on me. That is, I don't like how this feels. This isn't what I want for our relationship. So where can we get to a place of truth that feels good for both
1: of us? Mm. It's so interesting, our instinct to avoid those truthful conversations that may be a little bit challenging. Sure, there might be some tension into it, but isn't it funny that rather than have 10 minutes of a bit of a honest, maybe a hard conversation, we would spend even years in resentment years over 10 minute conversation like what a weird choice you know what a strange thing to choose simply because we are so conflict diverse so conflict diverse and so i have found this to be true in my own life that people can be surprisingly generous with our honesty especially when it's not accusatory like you just said it's not us saying I'm sick of you telling me what to do all the time or making me feel bad for my choices when you just own it in a way that's truthful and still kind of kind hearted in nature. There is all kinds of possibility on the other side of that conversation, tons and like renewed relationships. Yep. And they know it anyway. Yeah. Oh, sure i put guilt on people. I know what I'm
0: doing. (laughs) They're they're stating the They already know it. Again, you're just shining a light on what's there. Yes. Because if you're using, like you said, if you're using guilt to get someone to do something, you know that's what you're doing. You know that they're going to feel more obligated. Well, they feel obligated because they feel like they owe. So you're just stating what's already there. And some will resist it, but that's really on them. And then I think it's important to ask for what you want or need. Look. Guilt trippers are great at stating their needs. In fact, (laughs) the, the relationship can be so unbalanced that you know everything that's a requirement for them and they might not know anything that's a requirement for you. So I think it's really important to get clear about what your expectations are and ask for them. Sometimes you might have to repeat that request. You might have to have that conversation more than once before it really sinks in. And that's okay. Just find your courage to have the conversation. It feels so good. You're right. It does. To
1: tell the truth. It (laughs) does. And it liberates our relationships too. It is the right path. You're right. I want to drop this conversation into another context because we are just about to plunge into for what a lot of us is one of the most emotionally charged parts of the year. We're moving into the holiday season in 2020, which is, it's a lot. It's a lot to consider what what this is going to look like. Juggling all the expectations is difficult in the best of times, but now we're going to be doing it inside of a pandemic. What's your advice when it comes to, and now's the time to talk about it before we get into it and we're locked in. How do we approach this holiday season with the, Value in hand. I'm gonna do this without guilt. I'm gonna do this with just joy and connection. I'm gonna do this with honesty and open-handedness. And I'm going to actively reject a guilty holiday season. Can you talk us through that? How we may begin to put those practices into place?
0: Yes. So my my whole thing is around joy. Like I said, I, I want women to live more fulfilling lives, meaning meaningful, joyful. So that's mostly what I've written about. When I dived into writing about guilt, it was like, oh, wait a minute. This is, (laughs) this is a negative emotion. I'm usually writing about positive emotions. And I realized, why am I doing this? Because I want people to get their joy back. So there are three truths of guilt. Guilt is a message. Guilt is a debt. But the third truth is guilt is an opportunity. It's an opportunity to change something, to tweak something, to look at something a bit differently. And I believe in this whole year of 2020, there is an opportunity. And part of your job right now, and part of what will actually bring more joy is to be asking, what is the opportunity in this challenge? So we look at this holiday season like no other that we will have experienced. We need to ask, What's the opportunity here? How, in in light of our circumstances and our realities, how do we want this to feel and look? Like accepting what is. It is what it is. (laughs) Accepting what is and saying, what could it look like? And resetting expectations, because when it comes to guilt, guilt, our, guilt is rooted in our expectations. It's, I haven't been able to live up to these expectations. So if you're setting yourself up for guilt with the wrong expectations, <laughs> things you can't meet, then reset them. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. What expectations can you? meet? What joy could come? And when I think of the holiday season, I always get a bit frustrated. Because I'm like, what is this supposed to be about? Who are we supposed to be celebrating? Like one of, my, one of my questions that I often just ponder is how do we get to a point when we're celebrating Jesus's birthday, but we get all the gifts?
1: It's <laughs> <That's> crazy. <laughs> yeah. what, what are it's, you doing?
0: <laughs> so when we, if, we, if we just look at Simple questions like, how could we make this memorable in such a way that five or 10 years from now, 30 years from now, we might look back and go, remember that Christmas in 2020? We were like, this is going to be a mess, but we decided, no, it's not. There's an opportunity in this. What would that look like for your family, I think is the question. And it might not be something for you to figure out just on your own. If you, know, if you have a family, if you have kids, make it a family discussion and then build up to it. Anticipation is a happiness trigger. We can get as much joy out of looking forward to something as we get out of the event itself. So what are those things you could look forward to? We're starting that process because there's likely, you know, not going to be family traveling and so on and so forth. So it's like, what do we want to create for that cozy <laughs> experience? And who do we want to, who do we want to do something for? How do we want to make this something good for somebody else? How do we want to commemorate the birth of Christ? Like how could we make this a more spiritual experience and celebration with all of that I think there's no guilt in fact what could happen is you create new traditions that you continue (laughs) you know like so much of 2020 there may be a piece of this holiday season that ends up teaching you something that you want to hold on to
1: I love that and It seems so simple in practice, which is retooling expectations, sit down and talk about it. But when we don't do that, those former expectations or unrealistic expectations, they're the leader. They lead our feelings. They lead our experience. That is who we hand the power over to. And so that really is a very powerful tweak, which is just what expectations make sense for us right now? What do we want? Like, let's set our intentions together and then meet them. It's just so, it's just a completely different approach instead of letting everything happen to us so that we're just reacting and responding all the time. This rather get in front of it, let's, let's chart our own course is a huge, huge way to diminish that like constant guilt in our lives. I, I love all these approaches. My, my brain is spinning right now listening to you talk like, what are my intentions? I love reason? it. Like I can have a bunch of ideas in my head right now.
0: <laughs> I love that. One of my favorite coaching questions is looking back 10 years from now, what will you wish you had done? It's using that benefit of that hindsight is 2020 and to kind of stepping into your future self, taking yourself out of this, you know, right now I'm looking at the obstacles right in front of me and stepping back And saying, okay, 10 years from now, when I'm, you know, 10 years older, and I'm not in this situation, looking back, what wisdom would I have? How would I advise myself? And I think we can apply that to the holidays, but we can apply that in every area of our lives, whether it's our health, our finances, our relationships, our spiritual lives, our work, to get some meaningful answers.
1: With holidays coming up, it is time to start thinking about gifts that people will use over and over again. And spoiler alert to my friends and family, but you are all getting feature socks in your stockings and I'm not sorry. Features socks are more than just stocking stuffers though. They're they're engineered with like a custom like fit to prevent bunching and slipping and friction and blisters. Plus, Features has a sock for literally whatever you need. If you want socks that are cushioned and supportive for running around, they have them. If you want some warm, colorful crew socks for lounging around when it gets colder, they have them. And if you need socks to help you recover from an injury or if you have special foot care needs, they have all kinds of compression and therapeutic socks just for you. Listen, you may think socks aren't a big deal, but I beg to differ. Right now, I am loving these high-performance ankle socks from Features that have a little cushion, so they're super comfy without being huge and bulky, and they're perfect if I'm just out and about or lounging at home, whatever. Plus, if I go out for a walk, they don't slip down into my shoe, which I hate, and I never get blisters wearing these, ever. Features has a great deal for my listeners. They'll give you $10 off your first pair when you go to features.com and use my code for the love. Great deal. So let me spell that for you because this is cute. It's features F-E-E-T-U-R-E-S dot com. See what they did there? And enter promo code for the love at checkout. You'll love these, I promise. So one more time, that's features.com and use my code for the love to get $10 off your first pair. All right, back to our show. This series on the podcast is about small wins. And this whole conversation is such a big part of that, like of, of managing these wins in our life. And I'm going to ask you this. I'm asking everybody this in the series. Here's the first one. You can just top of your head, whatever comes to mind. Here's the first one. What is something you've been grateful for this year? I have been grateful for my
0: health in a new way and the health of my family, but also more time. The forced slowdown
1: (laughs) has
0: been like, this isn't so bad. (laughs) You know, I've even thought about things like, you know, you just hop in the car to go run an errand right quick. But when we were totally locked down, of course, that wasn't a possibility. And I started really thinking like, In the car for stuff, and I I haven't thought things through. I don't always need to do that, I could stay put. So, I've really, I really feel grateful for the chance
1: to kind of hit reset on the pace of my life. Mm -hmm. Me, too. Me, too. We had to do it, and now I'm glad we did it. And I think a lot of us are saying, What might stick here? What might become a little bit more permanent? Here's the next question What's one small way that 2020 has changed you for the better? I believe I trusted God before, but I
0: think the step by step, you know, it started with, like I said, having to pivot in the business. And then my husband was furloughed in late April and was supposed to go back to work in August and got laid off.
1: Wow, man.
0: And there's so many things. I even think about like the no travel, the the speaking engagements, all of that stuff. And As someone who likes to feel in control, not be in control, because we are in control, but it's nice to have the feeling, right? The illusion of being in control. Yes. (laughs) It's like, God, just crack it up. Like, yeah, Val, you're really in control, aren't you? I literally am like, he's always taking care of us. He's always been there. We don't have to know exactly what is coming next. It's just a decision that he's walking on the journey with us and that in fact, the things that look like they're bad news might not be. (laughs) Might actually be God's way of closing a door and opening a new one because you probably wouldn't have closed that door on your own anyway. So I feel at peace in the midst of All this stuff going on, and honestly, I feel that way. In every way, I feel that way about all the stuff that's gone on nationally. Like it, it's ugly. It's emotional. It brings up a lot of emotions. But I don't think we can get to our potential without getting through the ugly stuff. It's like giving birth to something. It is painful, and there's a reckoning. But I truly trust God that on the other side of that reckoning, our country can be better. I don't think without dealing with all the, some of the ugly truths and and getting to have honest conversations and be empathetic with one another, I don't think we can get there without that. No, we can't. That's our path. We're kidding ourselves to say that we can. So if all of us learn a bit more empathy, racial empathy, we we go oh, maybe god's up to something even though it might not feel or look like it i like that maybe that's my optimism but I, that's what i believe so i feel like i trust god more like in all the stuff that looks
1: wild and crazy and what on earth is going on god's still there he is always there yeah i don't experience that it's just silly optimism i just experience that as faith that's what you're saying like your your faith is strong and that's special that's a profound thing to have come through still holding and, and holding well and with joy and trust. And so I love that you said that. And I, I will borrow from your faith. <laughs> I remember one time a few years ago, my mom had was diagnosed with breast cancer and it was unexpected and it was it, we were all so rattled. And my friend, Christine Kane, I was talking to her and she said, and I was just telling her what I was worried about and blah, blah, blah. She said, oh, I got enough faith for that. I have enough. I'm like, oh, good. Okay, good. You carry the torch for as long as you need. I'll, I'll join you as soon as I can. <laughs> it
0: takes that, though, doesn't it? I mean, it's wow. Yeah, I, I can relate to that. My mom had a brain aneurysm when we were on the phone years ago, and I just felt in my spirit, she's going to be okay, which logically might not have made sense, but it's like, what else do you hold on to? Yeah,
1: and we can lend each other faith. And borrow faith. And I love that. It's kind of a currency among people. And it has served me well a million times. Here's the last one. Valerie, we ask everybody this question. It's from Barbara Brown Taylor. Please feel free to answer it however you want to. What is saving your life right now? <laughs> <laughs> gotta be that yellow shirt. Oh, I love it so much. I want to go
0: find wherever you got it and buy it immediately. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. My husband's cooking
1: and baths. (laughs) Oh, 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 this is important. Is he the cook? He loves to cook and he's good at it. Oh, lucky you.
0: Look at this. Look at God. Look at God. Like I can cook and he likes my food, but since he likes to cook and for him, it's like a form of creativity. I want to encourage him to pursue his passion. (laughs) His (laughs) dreams. (laughs) (laughs) As much as possible. And he's so good at it. So I have been and you know, because we haven't been eating out.
1: Right. Totally. I'm like, this is this is Chef Jeff is good. What's his signature dish? Does he have one? Or what's your favorite thing? Let me put it like that. What do you love that he makes?
0: He makes the best salmon but he always wants to like add like he's like ah, I think I'm gonna saute some scallops with that or would you prefer some grilled shrimp I'm like oh my gosh and then Fancy. and then he makes cream spinach because there's a restaurant near us that I love the cream spinach so what he'll do is like you'll be at the restaurant he's like I think I taste and I'm like how do you do that he's like I'm gonna learn how to make this so yeah he's really he's very good at that and baths.
1: Yes. I like yes, that. I don't. Yeah,
0: I don't enjoy the cooking, so that's right. really
1: good. But the baths, it, and then you go retire to your bathtub with your bath salts or whatever it is you do. That I committed working.
0: to once a week because I I'd like to do it more, <laughs> but you know, <laughs> with with everything going on in our house and everything. But if I can do once a week. It just slows me down. It's like it sure does. Ah, this feels really good. And you got this big tub for a reason, and then you weren't using it. So use what you have, whatever that
1: happens to be. <laughs> I love it. I love it. A bath um, can cure what ails us. It does. I've long said that when my kids have come home absolutely in meltdown mode from whatever hard thing happened that day, they are spiraling. They are unreasonable. There is no breaking through. The single thing that works every time is an awesome bath. I'm like, you know what? Life is hard. Let me just run this for you. No, I know you don't want to take it. I know. Let me do. I'm gonna put some salts in it. I'm gonna do some music. Here's a candle. A hundred percent of the time they emerge from that bathtub, restored a hundred. A whole different person. <laughs> a whole different person. It works on products too. So. <laughs> okay. Before I let you go, can you tell like my listening community where to find you, where you're at, all of it?
0: Absolutely. So they should come to ValerieBurton.com. I have a great free gift there, which is just a self-coaching course, like how to pause, and ask yourself those right questions. Of course, all the retailers for the book are there, but whatever retailer you like, let go of the guilt is there. And then social media at Valerie Burton. Just remember Valerie spelled like Valor. (laughs) V-A-L-O-R-I-E. All
1: right, we'll have all of that linked, everybody listening, all in one-stop shop. So we'll have that for you. You can follow Valerie everywhere. Grab her book, of course. So timely. Your message is so timely this year. We've always needed that message, but now we really, really need it. And so thank you for your work in the world. I just, nothing makes me happier than laboring alongside other women who love other women. I just love it. This community is everything. And I just appreciate your work. I see it. I I see what you're putting out in the world and it matters. And you're empowering this community. And inspiring them and lifting them up. And I just can't think of any better use of your life than this. And so I'm just cheering you on over there on that horse ranch with your airstrip (laughs) (laughs) and your bath and your cream spinach. Like I'm here. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for offering just your, your big generous spirit and wisdom to my community. We're just so grateful. Jen, can I just say, I appreciate you.
0: I appreciate your candor, your transparency, your humor. (laughs) You inspire me. Thank you. You inspire me as a writer, as a woman, as a mom, and you're using your voice in a way that's so important. And I just want to acknowledge this because I know you've been doing a lot of just illuminating voices around social justice I appreciate you for that as a black woman in a multiracial family who just wants us all to be able to see our connection, but also desperately wants to hear women like you say, hey, this is important and we need to pay attention and we can do something to change the direction of attitudes and where we're going as a country and as a world. It costs you to do that. It's a choice you've made and I respect it and I deeply appreciate it because you're a leader that other women and I would venture to say men to look to. Sometimes all we need is to see that other person saying, no, no, we can do this differently. No, no, we do need to speak up. Thank you for doing that.
1: What a nice thing to say. Thank you for that. That is so kind. Okay, well, I'm so happy that we're friends now. Look, now we're friends. That's how this works. I don't know what your intentions were here, but now you're stuck with me. I love it. (laughs) Thank you, Valerie. Thank you. All right, everybody. Thank you to Valerie. You guys, her book is called Let Go of Guilt. And I mean, this is just a message that we all need right now. And can you imagine what our lives would look like on the other side of this work um, if guilt was not the engine driving our lives anymore, but rather we were grounded and intentional, truthful, honest, free. Golly, the amount, of, the decisions that we, we would make outside of that sort of emotional space, it's a game changer. So if you go to jenhatmaker.com, underneath the podcast tab, we will have every single thing over there for this episode. We'll have all the links, links to all of Valerie's socials and her book, her website, everything. It's a one-stop shop for you. Amanda puts a ton of work into that every week. So definitely be using that resource. It is there for you. And thank you for sharing. This is a good one to share. Send this one around to your, your friends, your family, your sisters, Your daughters, you know, can you imagine had we been able to start our life, our adult lives, um, actively working against guilt instead of having to reimagine that in our 30s, 40s, 50s. So thank you for doing that. Thank you for subscribing and reviewing and rating the show. That is, we love that so much. We take your feedback so seriously. We listen to every single thing you have to say. So on behalf of Laura and the podcast team and Amanda and I, we love you and we love to serve you and we'll see you next week.